Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased you are all here with me today. I'm so thrilled. I have a dear old friend returning to the show after many, many months in the and a, a walk about the world. Uh, I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. But first, of course, let me get to my section of my book, Everyday Awakening. And actually today, and I think this is just so apropos for, for the show today, um, we're starting a section four of the book, which is all about heart and community. And this first little section, uh, and, and this first little uh, uh, part of section four or part four of the book, is entitled, The Greatest Dance We Do is the Dance Between Head and Heart. There is a dance we all learn to do from a very young age. It is not a physical dance, yet it is the most important dance we learn. It is the dance we do that takes us between our head and our heart. Many experiences may teach us that being in our heart is not safe. So we flow up into our mind and we stay there sometimes for a very long time, until something special happens. We meet someone or experience a great loss. Then suddenly we were back in our heart. We've forgotten what it is like to feel. To truly connect with another seems awkward. Our heart is still tender from our previous heartbreak. Yet life puts us there. And now we have a choice. We can choose to go back into our head and not feel, not feel the pain, the sadness, and the love, or we can open up to our heart, to all the emotions that have been stored up there, to reconnect with it so that we can release that energy and learn to open to something new. It may be something wonderful. It may be great joy and happiness or it can be something difficult and painful. Regardless of what it is, at least we are feeling something. We may even feel it in our physical body. And that's the point. We need to feel again, to experience life again as it was meant to be experienced in full living emotion. The mind is not bad, neither is the heart. Learning the dance that we do between them and why is what is important. We have both and we need both. So let's stop living as if it is one or the other. Let's learn the dance in which heart and head are the partners. How comfortable are you going from your head to your heart? So this um, part of my book I wrote a number of years ago after after doing the, the shamanic work that I do. And, you know, I always see this quote, and I've even said it myself, that the longest distance we're ever going to travel is the 18 inches from our head to our heart. And it, it always kind of felt to me that it's like a, a one-way thing, that it's like we just go from our head to our heart and that's it. And, and, and it, it kind of sat with me and I really kind of felt like, well, no, it's like, we're not always in our head. We're not always in our heart. And it's about the dance going back and forth from one to another. It's about the, 
it's about understanding and being comfortable with flowing from one to another. It's not about purely being in one or another. It's not about, well, either I'm in my head or in my heart. Oh, if I'm in my head, it's a bad thing because I'm not feeling. Oh, if I'm in my heart, it's good because now I'm feeling, I'm loving, I'm this and that. And I guess my perspective is they're both important at different times that sometimes we need to be in our heads. You know, if we're working on a business plan, if we're working on a budget, if we're, if we're trying to calculate something or plan a trip, you know, the mind is really useful. It can help us there. However, if we're trying to connect to another human being, if we're working on forming relationships, building community, doing things where it involves other people, well, yeah, then it's actually very helpful to be in our heart because we can't really connect with another person through our head. I mean, we try, but ultimately it's our heart that allows us to connect with another person. And so I look at it more not as a one or another. I look at it more as a dance. Sometimes the heart is in the lead. Sometimes the mind is in the lead. And also there's spot, spirit and body as well. Um, but I'm just focusing on these two because um, in, in my spirit wheel and my perspective of things, they're kind of the complements of each other. Um, but yeah, it's a dance. It's, it's not a one or another. And it's about learning to honor each and especially to really feel into and understand like when is it appropriate to be more in one than the other. There's an old saying that I just love that says the mind should be the heart's soldier. So what does that say? That say that like, hey, we can use our mind, but when it's actually performing at its best, it's when it's in service to the heart. And to me, that's about the relationship between the two. It's about that dance of knowing, you know, where do I need to be? What is appropriate for this moment, for this present moment in time? So um, why don't, uh, for this week, I, I guess your, um, uh, uh, our, your homework is going to be noticing when are you in your heart and when are you in your head? Um, yeah, and then you'll let me know next week how that goes for you. And so now it is my extreme pleasure to welcome to the show a dear, dear friend, a mindfulness meditation and spiritual teacher, G.P. Walsh. Uh, the son of a schizophrenic mother and an absent father, G.P.'s earliest memories is being tied to his bed to keep him from wandering. At the age of 19, he was on the verge of suicide, addicted to drugs, and at the end of his hope and his rope. <laughs> at the dark, at this dark moment, GP had an extraordinary spiritual experience that was so penetrating that within months, his entire life had turned around. Since then, he has spent his life learning, studying, researching, experimenting, practicing, and creating practices that liberate the soul from unnecessary and self-imposed suffering. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the show, uh, GP, someone I call a dear friend and brother. How are you doing? Oh, wonderful, Sam. It's so good to be with you again. It has been too long. Yes, it has. Yeah. It has. And, and you've been on the show before. I can't remember how long ago it was, but it's probably like four years ago, maybe five years ago by now. Yeah, I think it has been about, about that long. Yeah, when you yeah. were all still alive in your studio. Yeah. Yes, yes, in yes. the good old days. Good old days, yeah. So, so I don't want to overdo it, but I do want to give the audience a little bit of context um, of your, a little bit of your journey. And so I find it really curious because other people who I know who have interviewed on the show and who have relationships with, who have had some kind of profound experience in their life and it, an enlightening experience that really shifted their life, many of them have had like horrendous childhoods. 
<laughs> and, and not everyone who has a horrendous childhood has those experiences, but I find it curious that people who have those experiences have a tendency to have some like really uh, uh, challenging early years. And I'm curious if you have any insight as to why that might be. Well, yeah, it is kind of, it, it, is, it isn't always the case. So anybody out there is panicking. <laughs> <laughs> it, it isn't, it isn't always the case. But in order to, in order for some transcendent spiritual wisdom and love to, to appear and to actually be received, the, our, our, our presumptions, our assumptions, our, our egoic mind has to crack open in some way. Mm. And that can either be through, through, uh, through reason and training, or it'll be through suffering. Um, but somehow the, 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 the falsity of all of our assumptions about who we are has to become challenged. And for me, in, I, to point out, I, I was not seeking a spiritual experience. Uh-huh. I was a rock and roll drummer. That's all I wanted to be. Right, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. End of story. Right, but I was miserable. I got, I still got the hair. Yeah, Um, although it's shorter now (laughs) and not as wide. But and so, but obviously there was something inside, just the sheer pain of it. And the moment it happened was just a moment of just in of just agony. It was just this intense Mm -hmm. terror that I, I was just. I thought I was dying, and I was welcoming it. And, and it was in that moment, something just went, opened up. And, and within a short period of time, um, I mean, it, the actual event unfolded over about an hour. Ah. Um, um, uh, to, to finally, it was just this total revelation of, of pure love. Mm-hmm. And, and it was the first time in my life I could remember feeling loved. And the impact was just profound. I mean, it just, everything just fell away. Um, and so... Uh, How old were you at the time? Is that when you were 19? 19, 19. yeah. <laughs> Almost 51 years ago. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, at such a young age to have that kind of experience, did you have any kind of mentors at the time? I mean, did you have anyone that afterwards could help you to, like, figure out what to do? I mean, imagine that the integration <laughs> of that must have been very challenging at that age. Oh, I, I know. I mean, I, I grew up in a small town in Illinois. Uh, um, you know, I'd never heard of yoga. I'd never heard the word enlightenment. Um, I mean, Greek Orthodox, which is, was, was as out there as it got. Right. I mean, it was all white and Christian. I was 17 years old before I met a black person in person. Wow. This was middle America in the, in the, in the, in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, right, yeah. and this this happened in 1971, mm. and um, and so no, <clears throat> um, I mean there was no self help movement. A Course in Miracles hadn't been even thought of yet, let alone written. Mm. Um, nobody knew who Wayne Dyer or Deepak Chopra. The whole consciousness movement had yet to get started. That was another decade away. Yeah, um, and and so I I did have access. I did have access to some of the teachings of the new thought movement mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I happened to have access to a library that had a full, all sorts of different translations and concordances to the Bible, uh, as well as the interpreter's Bible, which is like 45 volumes. Wow. And I just poured over that mm-hmm. looking for some kind of, uh, some kind of, of, uh, confirmation what had happened Mm -hmm. i i had no idea what really really would have happened and and in that process all of the old ideas about about god and religion and truth were just were just falling away and i was seeing that that there is a huge mythological story carrying on Mm -hmm. Uh, that and eventually learning that pretty much nothing in the Bible actually happened as historical facts. Yeah. They, were all, they were all mythological stories right. that were woven together to look like a history, but in fact, they weren't. None of it, none of it really happened. But um, that was irrelevant to me at the time. I, I was finding a similarity into transformations that had happened to people mm-hmm. and what had resulted is, and what had happened to myself, which gave me enough that I, I you know, that's, that, 
that made me, uh, that helped give me a language and an understanding in which I could integrate it uh, for a while until I outgrew that. And from there, I went on to studying different kinds of psychological practices, right? At this okay. point, it was more experiential psychology. It wasn't pure analytics. It was right. gestalt and that kind of thing were being, had, had arrived on the scene. And So let's hold it there for the moment because we've got sure. to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, let's talk about then what kind of moved you from just understanding your own experience to actually becoming a spiritual teacher and actually helping others to find their path through this this quagmire shall we say <laughs> of, of experiences okay sure all right wonderful so everyone please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we do this every thursday 12 noon to 1 p.m eastern time right here on talkradio.nyc and we will be right back with my dear friend gp walsh after these messages Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. So, so GP, you, you mentioned, and actually quick shout out to Sanaya on the Facebook Live. I see one of my wonderful loyal listeners tuning in this week. Um, thank you, Sanaya, for checking in. Um, you had this experience. You, you poured yourself into volumes and volumes of, of texts on, on the spiritual experience. Um, how did you ultimately integrate this and, and uh, learn how to live differently where you can actually um, allow it to inform and guide your life? And then how did that ultimately bring you to becoming a teacher? Well, that was the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't you know, it always- <laughs> yeah, when that when that event actually uh, took place, I, I mean, it was just so blissful, and it lasted for so long that I thought, well, this is it. Everything from now on, I'm just going to think of it, and it's going to happen. And it was just like, I was just like, and then wham, down came the hammer. Um, I had no idea. I had no idea about conditioning, programming, got the whole kind of psychological and emotional patterns that we get into how the nervous system worked. Nobody did. Right. Not not at not at this particular time. This, you know, the psychology was was a very limited field. Yeah. 
and it was not as not as well understood the relationship between mind and remember, remember at this time your dna was like you're stuck with it this is the hand you're dealt you're, there's nothing to do with the neuroplasticity uh, all of that stuff came much much later mm. and so i dove into the began to uh, to to try to understand the psychology and stuff behind it why is it I, I'm on one hand, I'm talking to God. On the other hand, I can't tie my shoe. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's going on? And which is when I really began to understand this, how this happens to us. And all along the way, um, you know, people would come up and ask for help and that sort of stuff. I practiced spiritual healing for a while, but uh -huh. I could only get so far mm -hmm. because there was a whole lot left that I needed to understand. And that's when I dove, I dove uh, uh, into the whole psychological part of it and learning various kinds of techniques. Um, I went through two male initiation rituals. Um, I went through all sorts of processes to begin to learn how to, how to truly understand um, how the human system works, how we get into this mess in the first place. And that all started to uh, unravel. It all started to become clear, but it didn't really become focused until I'd run across uh, uh, Zen Buddhism and uh, Advaita Vedanta, which tied everything up into the, in, into the bow and took me even beyond conditioning um, to, to the point where now I really did understand what had happened. I understood the whole import of that event that had taken place at you know, that point, 35 uh, years before. And Oh, so that was my next one. So how long did it take you to find that? That was 35 years of searching? Yeah, well, it was, uh, yeah, it's it, it, the transform that transition out of the, out of, you know, the mythology and all of that and studies took place maybe 15 years later. Mm. And I was like, and as, as I began more, was more and more exposed to other kinds, kinds of things. Mm. So that, that, uh, for the next 10 years or so after that, probably 10, 15 years after that, it was, uh, I didn't speak a lot about the, the spiritual stuff. I was just completely involved in, um, in, in just the, the, the psychology of it and the, and the emotionality of it and the ex and experiential um, uh, treatments and trying to learn, you know, how the whole nervous system actually worked. Right. And then finally, probably about the mid to late nineties, I, I was reading a book by Wayne Dyer. Now, Wayne Dyer is great, but I've never, you know, he's never really resonated with me, right? Okay. This is the only book I ever read of his. I got about halfway through and he had a quote from this guy with a strange name named Nizagadana Maharaj. Oh, okay. And I, the name just went into me, right? I never finished the book. I never read it after that again. Three months later, I was walking down um, uh uh, and I went into the East West bookstore, which used mm -hmm. to be down, down there. Um, and I'm just kind of walking through the store and all of a sudden this orange book catch, catch my eye. It goes, I am that. And it's a good daughter, Maharaja. Well, isn't, isn't that? And I, I picked it up. It literally took me two years to read it for the first time. Really? It was so mind blowing. I'd read like three sentences and go, and I would just sit with it for hours or days uh, because it was just so profound. And I say, for crying out loud, there are people actually speaking directly, not talking in myths and metaphor and parables, but just saying it. Mm. <laughs> I went, damn, where have you been for the last 40 years? <laughs> where have you been? Um, and I just, I just lived with that and I just ate, I, I, I ate it up. Um, and then I took up the practice of Zen Buddhism, which is very similar. Mm. And that's when the final pieces began to fall into, into place mm. that you were talking about it before that, yeah. that dance, that everything is a flow. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, while you were, while you were talking, uh, a quote from Nizagadatta came to mind. One of the, my most, one of my favorites of his, where he says, to know that you are nothing is wisdom. To know that you are everything is love. Between these two, my life flows. Interesting. Between wisdom and love. Between wisdom and love, which, which is really the better way of thinking of, of mind and heart. Yeah. Right? 
because there's levels to it. There's the, you know, there's the intellectual mind, there's the functional mind, but then there's this intelligence that goes beyond. Yeah. That, that sees more clearly. And it's interesting, you know, the, the goddess of compassion, the most, the most, the most well-known and most revered goddess in all of Asia is Kanon or Kanzion or Kuan Yin. She has a million different names. Um, but she is both the goddess of wisdom, compassion, and the goddess of wisdom. Mm, mm, I never thought of that before. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, while you were studying this, integrating it, doing all this stuff, just what was happening in like your, your normal day-to-day life? I mean, because you were, before this experience happened to you, you were like on the verge of suicide. What happened afterwards? Like, what was your life like? Well, at first I had all my ambitions, you know, at, when it first happened, I, I went back to school as a, uh, as a percussion major and, and ended up switching to piano. And um, all of a sudden, the same voice that had talked to me on, on the bridge that time ago started humming music in my ear and I started writing music, uh, which, I, which, I, which I still do. Um, and it, just, it was just constantly a matter of I'd have to say it was a matter of just letting go, shedding that which was not me, even the parts of me that I was really holding on to very desperately. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, uh, eventually to the point where even though I still do music, I gave up my ambitions to be a rock star and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I, I started doing a bunch of other things. I, you know, I, 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 I made the, uh, the mistake of marrying a very inappropriate woman, but ha- woman, but had two wonderful children. So I, I refer to it as the best mistake I ever made. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but that I raised most of the time as a single father. So now I'm a, I'm in a completely different world, right? So now what now what do I do? And I just I discovered resources I didn't know I had. I had to let go of things. I, you know, I had to do that. I couldn't flake out on, on, on them. I had to make sure that they did not have the experience I did. And the, um, and so I ended up getting into computers. I was a consultant. I actually even did some things that won some awards, right? Because they'd never wow. been done before. So they'd never been done before. So, it, but it was always the same thing. I was just listening to this voice. I had no training in computers, but there was this there was this intuition that said, Go "Head this way," and I just learned to follow it, wow. even when everything in my life was falling apart, which it did many times. Not just once, but many times. Not just once. Oh, God. Wouldn't do what I wish. Um, (laughs) No, we just do not understand the tenacity of our conditioning and how deeply identified we are with our conditioning. You are not your conditioning. Your entire sense of self is based on the idea that I am this person that is in fact nothing but a creation of the nervous system to keep you safe and to hide the real you from the environment so 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 the real you can remain protected until someday there's the freedom for it to come out into the light mm-hmm. wonderful wonderful all right i think that's a good point for us to take a break um because we've got our next commercial break coming up and when we come back i would like to kind of get back to the i am that you know the title of that book like what does that actually mean and then um what has all this led you to today like what are you doing today working with people and i really want to sort of ground this conversation into how all these experiences how how people can take it and use it into their daily life today because everyone will admit we're living in a kind of a little bit of a crazy world so (laughs) Yeah, there is some utility to this, as they might say. Yes, there is. Okay, so everyone, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Weakening Humanity. My guest this hour is the amazing G.P. Walsh, and we will be right back after these messages. Howdy, I'm Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. So, GP, you were talking about how this book um, from this this teacher from India, I Am That, how, how much it affected you. So I just wanted, just the title itself, I Am That, what does that mean? Um, well, it's very closely related to I Am That I Am from, from the Old Testament. And, and it is a statement of who you really are. I mean, if you're not your conditioning, which is what I discovered, and the, right. the formation of the sense of a hum, the human personality was all conditioning, what were you before you were conditioned? Hmm. What was there prior to all of that? I am that. What I actually am is that. As it says in the Ribu Gita, in the Ribu Gita everything is the supreme being, which is being consciousness bliss. And I am that. Mm. You know, from your own work, whatever I say, I say, I am, and then I put something after it. Right. right. And, and every time we do that, we define ourselves. So yes. I am this, I am male, I'm old, I'm young, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm good, I'm bad, all, all of these things. And and, and consciousness is so powerful that if you believe it, it will be believed into existence. You will experience it as if it were a fact, even though it isn't. Right? Mm-hmm. So what are you without any of that stuff added? And Zen, they would say, what did you look like before your parents were born? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's purposely, des- those kinds of koans are designed to get us out of our, the thinking mind. And to go direct into experience, um, which is really what meditation is, um, and, and everything everything you do, the whole process of inner reconciliation, which I designed as a modern spiritual path, mm-hmm. is to get you in direct touch with what was there before the conditioning happened, mm. because that's you. What are you without thoughts about you, without the referencing of you to something else, right? You, your direct experience of yourself. Uh, uh, do an exercise that's really easy to do, just to pick, picture yourself in your mind. Right? Everybody can do that. Picture yourself. And for the most part, it will be you, right? You'll be, you know, from the waist up or something like that. We look at the way you look at a picture and, or a video and something like that. Or like right now, looking at ourselves on the street. Mm-hmm. And, then I, and then I point out, but have you, do you realize that that image you're holding of yourself, you have never seen. You've seen reflections, you've right. seen pictures, you've seen videos, but you've never actually seen that. And yet you hold it as if that's me. Mm. So now that's what you look like from five feet away. Mm. What do you look like from a distance of zero? <laughs> What happens is 
all of your ideas about yourself, all your ideas about yourself just go out the window. Yeah. All your knowledge of yourself goes out the window. That's the uh, the Vedanta part of uh, Advaita Vedanta, which is the the, the Hindu non-dual path. Mm. Vedanta simply means the end of knowledge. Ah. It's the point by which conceptual knowledge no, can no longer tell you anything about you. Because mm. it'll always be secondhand. It'll always be how you appear somewhere else. How do you appear directly to yourself? Mm. And I am that. Pure consciousness, pure awareness, formless, bodiless, timeless, spaceless, birthless, deathless, because all of those are added later. And this is not abstract. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, okay, so so you, you, you go through this exercise, you have this sense of, okay, so I'm, I'm not just this, but I'm still living here in a physical body. If I don't eat, I'm going to be hungry. If, if I don't, have, you know, have shelter and warmth, I, I could die of uh, hypothermia. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a lot of people think this whole non-dual or a lot of this stuff is just like, you know, oh yeah, I'm just going to sit in the corner and chant OM all day. I mean, it's nonsense. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Be- because that's, that's the idea that again, that somehow who I actually am and the experiencing I'm having are disconnected. That's the disconnect mm-hmm. of the heart and mind. Once again, right. this is it, right? right? This is the, the unity. This is the oneness. So knowing, knowing who I am simply frees me from getting stuck somewhere rather than doing the dance. Uh, because if, if, if I know myself as pure consciousness and not any particular form, I'm no longer stuck in a form. If I get stuck in a form, I'm stuck in a position, I'm stuck in ideas, I'm stuck in beliefs. And that stuckness is what completely makes up the egoic mind. As a matter of fact, in Buddhism, uh, in, in, in Sanskrit and, and in Pali, Buddha uses the word, which is translated as suffering. The original word is dukkha. And dukkha refers to the hub of a wheel that's gotten out of true and can't move. Oh. Suffering equals stuck. The moment I think I am this, I'm stuck in that. I begin to see the world through those eyes. I act like it. I think like it. Right? But when yeah, I so you're I'm too not, rigid in a way, and you've lost your fluidity. You've lost it, yeah. That's the structure of the ego. The ego is that. Mm. The stuckness is the egoic mind. I am this definition. But that definition is purely arbitrary. It comes out of conditioning you're experiencing and thoughts you've accumulated and that sort of thing. It's not you. Right, right. Which gives you the freedom to step into anything at any time. Mm. So now at this point, in your everyday life, you start showing up as this being with this with infinite inner resources available to you. Not mm. a finite being that has to do things a certain way. Right. You begin you become incredibly responsive and creative in every single moment because you don't show up as somebody. <laughs> You don't show so, up with a preconceived idea. Right. So it sounds like sort of leading you to a path of extreme presence, because when we're completely present in the moment, we don't have these other thoughts or conceptions of like, who am I? Who are you? All this stuff. We're just being present to what is right here, right now. And presence is another word for I am that. Ah. As is God as is Buddha nature, as is pure awareness, as is consciousness. They're all names for this. Well, the street name is me. (laughs) (laughs) In religion, they call it God. You know, I just call it me, the true self, (laughs) right? Which cannot be defined. It's infinite. It's infinite. How do you, how do you define? Oops. The moment you define it, right? You've put a boundary around it. It's not infinite anymore. So if we're these infinite creatures, why do we finite ourselves, come down in a way into these physical bodies and now experience the world, experience the universe from this very finite point of view? Well, it's not that we experience the universe from the finite point of view. 
consciousness narrows its perception and in, and in so doing creates a universe. Hmm. It's the other way around. You're not uh, in the body at all. The body is in you. Uh, and it is simply a focal point of attention. Imagine, here's, here's my cup, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing the cup from this angle. Right? Right. You're seeing it from this angle. Well, what it would look like if you saw it from both angles at the same time? Uh, right? Now, what if you were seeing it from all angles at the same time? The cup would simply disappear. There'd be nothing there. Hmm. Why would there be nothing Ev- there? Every possible angle, because they would all just blur into a blob. There'd be nothing ah, to see. Okay. Right? okay. So in order for any object to appear, there has to be a creation that, that is something has to be called out in contrast to a back background. And that's simply a shift in perception. Mm-hmm. So I see it one way, I can move back and I can see it a different way. And I'm looking at what? What's the actual reality? Mm-hmm. Well, the actual, the truth of the reality is it's you. <laughs> it's a, you're seeing yourself everywhere. So the universe, you could say, is the body of consciousness. You're, this is All not... Right. This that's body. interesting. It's, what you what you just said to me is very interesting because when I was young, I, I, I and I kind of moved away from traditional religion because I just saw so much hypocrisy in it. I didn't really feel any spirit to it, and I, I guess my concept of what is God or that thing we refer to as God, and I was kind of like using an analogy of well, if we have a spirit to a physical body then wouldn't God just be the spirit of the physical universe? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's only one spirit. If it's infinite, there can only be one of them. Mm -hmm. So what I call me isn't me at all. (laughs) What you call you. So, I mean, is the space in New York any different than the space in Seattle? The content's different. The space Mm -hmm. is indivisible. Consciousness Mm -hmm. is like that. So consciousness can have infinite number of points of perception at any at any given time. And I don't want this to sound that out there because it's highly, highly practical. It liberates you from the self concepts that are what are limiting you. Mm. And when you when you realize that how you see yourself determines the entire quality and character of your life then questioning your sense of identity, your self-image, is the way of unraveling all of, all of this. Mm-hmm. But, but if I'm in a difficult situation, right, and I'm identifying as Sam in this situation, and I'm in pain in the moment, that pain is really drawing my attention. It's is it's challenging to be able to say, well, this is just some identity I have right now and, and fluff it off. Yeah, you can't. Um, yeah, it's absurd to even think you could, right? Mm. Uh, it, has to, it has to be highly, highly compassionate. Right? Mm. It, it isn't abstract. It's wisdom and love, not right. one or the other, right? Mm. So, the, you know, there's all sorts of exercises and meditations I, I've developed for simply being, here's what you need to do. You need to be with the pain without the story. Mm. Something, ha- an, an event takes place in our lives and there's no way to avoid it, right? There's no way to avoid untoward events happening in our lives. But what happens? The conditioning part is when all of a sudden the, the mind takes off. This is this and this and this. It's got all sorts of ideas. This is what I have to do. There's reactive patterns. And if we go with the reactive patterns, it will simply be the same loop happening over and over and over again. But what happens if I'm just with the actual direct experience of the event, Mm. but I don't immediately go off into the mind and its Mm. ideas about what it is. I don't immediately react in the way I've been programmed to react. And instead Mm. I become increasingly intensely present with it. Mm. What happens? That is the, that's, that's the gap between event and triggering that begins to open up and that's the space in which there's a creative alternatives mm. until that time it is unconscious this happens i react period right. reflex right. like a dog right but if i can understand that these are arbitrary this is an association made out of conditioning in my in my childhood or the like and not an absolute fact i can begin to do this and that's the beginning of awakening mm. it's creating that space 
that creating that space until finally there's absolute freedom in there. Wonderful. Right? Wonderful. All right. It's time to, for us to take our last break of the show. When we come back, you briefly mentioned it, inner reconciliation. Uh, I would love to talk a little bit more about what your work is. What do you teach people? And maybe, you know, before the end of the show, if you have anything coming up, you want to let our audience know, uh, we can discuss that. Okay. Sure. Wonderful. So everybody, please stay tuned. I do see loyal listener Patty uh, tuning in on the Facebook Live. Thank you, Patty. Glad you could join us today. Um, you're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity, and we will be right back after these messages. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers... Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour with G.P. Walsh, uh, spiritual teacher and creator of Inner Reconciliation. So what are we inner reconciling? <laughs> well, <clears throat> one of the things I, early on, like everybody else, uh, you know, who got involved in self-help and therapy and psychology and all of that, was that there was... Um, there was this sense that you know there were some things wrong that I needed to fix them. There's stuff that out of balance, and I needed to make it kind of make it right. And I I I bought that line as well. Mm -hmm. And I kept wondering, like the early spiritual healing I'd done, why didn't it always work? <laughs> mm. Or why were the results so meager? What what was the problem with it? Something seemed to be off to me. Mm. Um, and it was really when I when I started studying Advaita Vedanta and Zen that I began to realize the fundamental flaw in, in the whole ointment. And that is the assumption that there's something wrong with me and I have to be fixed is exactly the same assumption our parents had about us that caused all this stuff in the first place. Yeah. And so as well-meaning as it is, most of these techniques end up reinforcing the underlying statement that there's something wrong with me. Well, there's yeah. nothing wrong with you. Right. Your conditioning is no longer successful or useful in the environment you're in now, but you're mm -hmm. stuck there from the past. I said, well, okay, well then what happens with the now? And I went, and, and I've had some wonderful experiences that were just kind of mystical and kind of strange, but I suddenly realized that what I was dealing with was not a broken system, mm. but a system that was misunderstood. And so I began to, instead of trying to fight with myself, I began to reconcile with it. Mm. So whenever I'd, you know, I mean, you could do it right now. I mean, somebody, anybody here can just imagine something in their life that they really want or really have wanted, but don't have. Mm. And, just try, and just try to hold it in your mind. 
draw a picture of it. And even something you gave up on, right? Mm-hmm. But now instead of doggedly trying to hold on to it, notice what's happening in your body. Right? You'll feel the resistance to it. Mm. And I said, well, okay. Why is it that something that's obviously good and useful and progressive, there's a part of me that's resisting it? What's up with that? Now, self-help would have you fighting that or visualizing it away. Or this, mm-hmm. And I go, well, wait a minute. This is part, this is part of me. Right. It, it, eventually, I had a nice long conversation with my defense mechanism, with the reptilian <laughs> strand. <laughs> Quite literally, it appeared as Smiths and these Secret Service people, right? <laughs> quite, quite. I know it's it's bizarre, but it was like okay. We had a conversation about it, and I and I recognized that what was really happening is there's all sorts of aspects to us. There's the creative part. There's a visionary. There's there's the heart and altruism. There's the sense of identity and ego. There's a part that's a pure hedonist. I just want fun and pleasure. There's another part that is dedicated to safety, and because of our conditioning, we've kind of favored one over the other and made these guys enemies when in fact they're not. Mm. And the reconciliation now was between my desires and my vision and the safety mechanism that said, no, it's not going to happen, right? Mm. You, you, you can't have it. And you feel that. Any resistance you feel, that's simply your, your, the safety mechanisms has mechanism for, for real reasons that happened to you as a child has decided it's not safe for you to have it. And so it will never give up that position until it sees that it's safe. So I took all my attention off of actually trying to fix or change anything. And instead, I focused it all on how do I create an inner environment that was so safe that Mm. the system itself would say, it's safe. I can come out now. Mm. The energy system is like water. It takes the shape of whatever you pour it into. Mm-hmm. And we have inadvertently been maintaining the environment in which it was not safe for us to come out. But mm-hmm. it's because it's 100% adaptable, adaptable, adapting, and completely and totally reactive. Mm-hmm. The moment it detects a change in the environment, it begins to respond to it. Right. And if it finds that it's consistent, it'll actually shoop, shape itself to fit it. Mm. And so inner reconciliation was the way in which I found to undo the conditioning. You had to invite the nervous system out of its stance. You couldn't force it. Right. You force it, what does it do? It feels threatened. What does it do? Right. It doubles down. Right, right, right. Closes up that much more. Yeah. And, and from that, it got to the point where I could actually lead people into, a, 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 into an awakening uh, of the same kind that I had. Oh, because here was the difference. Getting it out of the conditioning, I was not replacing it with some better version of myself. Mm. I was allowing myself to discover who I've been the entire time. I wasn't just trying to visualize a better, a better GP. Mm-hmm. Done that. <laughs> Hadn't worked very well. <laughs> Instead, I was going, well, who was I before even the name GP? Mm. And it was a completely different open environment. I was trying to force nothing on it whatsoever. And sounds and like radical tried. acceptance. It is. It is genuine radical acceptance. It's unconditional love. Right? So then, is everything perfect? Yes, it is. Mm. And I can say that it's perfect. Well, my life's not perfect. Well. There are things that are not working. Well, why aren't they working? Mm -hmm. Because the system is perfect. It's performing exactly the way it's designed to. And if you change the environment, it will adjust, right? Mm -hmm. But as long as it feels threatened, it will not give up. Your energy system will not, under any circumstances, let you become unsafe. Uh. It's loyal to a fault. Mm -hmm. Right. And if it has to, it'll, it'll bind you, throw you in the basement and just feed you a couple of times a day because then it guarantees safety. Now, of course, you don't want to live that way, which is why there has to be a reconciliation between right. the overzealous energy, energy of, of safety and the overzealous energy of freedom and desire and all of that kind of stuff. They have to do this. They're, 
if they so we're don't back to the dance that, again we're back to the dance if they don't do that it will be this right right and 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 if you think about the language we tend to use a lot our language usually uh, shows what the, our underlying beliefs are so when we talk about fighting against ourselves or pushing working hard whatever then yeah we're doing this we're, we're pounding yes. against something we're resisting something but when we talk about dancing playing engaging with now we're in a much more uh, open and accepting and, and a, coming from a place of possibility as opposed to a place of uh, uh, of having to make something some exactly something. yes yes exactly this is not self-help it's self-discovery yeah beautiful beautiful yeah. well gp it's been wonderful having you on the show again always a pleasure um how do people want to learn more about your work and, and get in touch with you how would they find you gpwalsh.com easy ah. as can be i made it as <laughs> short as i could um, uh, and it, it's pretty much uh, all there i have currently um i've whittled it down from 100 i have 47 courses wow uh, yeah plus medit and meditations and music and all sorts of things um i'm i'll be doing one I do trainings for internet reconciliation as well as the emotional freedom technique, which I use as part um, as a way of again creating inner safety with the body. Um, and so there's 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 lots there <laughs> for anybody who's interested in with plenty of free stuff too. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so so much, GP. It, it, it's so wonderful, and uh, thank you for taking us through this dance. And uh, again, I, I wasn't, I did not cherry pick that piece of my book at the beginning. It was just the next one that came up, uh, and and it was perfect. And it is perfect. Yeah, it is perfect. And your your thoughts on it were just were just spot on. That is what it is about. If we dance, we're not fighting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you, brother. Listen, have a wonderful uh, rest of the day and week. I, I look forward to seeing you when I make it out to the West Coast this summer. And uh, thank you, my loyal listeners. And of course, thank I, I, I always, you know, you're, you guys are always in my heart, but I forget to, to actually thank you in my show, uh, my producer, Dylan, uh, my assistant, Bruna, who helps keeps things running on the station, and our whole amazing team of production assistants who are behind the scenes doing stuff, our social media, our summaries, all kinds of stuff. Thank you guys for being there and, and helping to keep this engine going. It's so appreciated. And of course, thank you, my loyal listeners, uh, Sanaya, Patty, I'm sure William is checking in later on. Uh, you guys are why I do this show. Um, and if you like the show, please share it with your friends, your family, with, with your acquaintances. And don't forget that if you missed any part of today's show, you can always catch the replay on talkradio.nyc. And you'll find us uh, in a couple of days on all of the podcasting platforms. Um, so thank you all so much. Next week, I've got a, an amazing uh, gentleman coming on talking all about uh, sort of the psychedelic applications of cannabis. So it'll be an interesting mm -hmm. show. So everybody, please take care. We will talk to you next week. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life hi i'm pat duckworth women's health strategist and host of the hot women rock radio show empowering women leaders at menopause join me every thursday at 10 a.m eastern time 3 p.m uk time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 